The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, Episode 8, The Catch. stretched luxuriantly, but did not stop its pacing, eyeing the little audience with interest at every lap around the tree. Adeline began telling her story as if speaking through the beast. In Japan, as in Scotland, we know that cats are creatures often but a whisker stroke from wickedness less witches familiars than the embodiment of the old Nick himself, the ones who call the shots rather than those called to the fireside for a dish of cream. The cat she we are, the darkest of the fairy host. Humans are easily indebted to us and we always collect. There once was a fisherman named Murdo as all such stalwarts are at heart. His name signifies one who battles bravely with the sea for his living, only to risk his death. But this Murdo did not almost meet his end on the waves, as we shall see, but among my kin, for he sought to take the sea's bounty on a night when no mortal man should have been about. Like many a young man who made his living as a fisherman, it was often Murdo's preferred habit to take his boat and his gear out fishing at night, when the weather permitted, and return in the misty morning laden with a fair fortune of silvery fish, a rich man indeed. But where most of the fishing families were fathers and sons or brothers or male relatives of some kind who worked together to help each other with the voyage and the catch, Murdo was single and he worked alone. Now it happened that the day of All Hallows Eve dawned fair and mild for the turning of the year towards winter. And Murdo had a mind that if the weather held, it would be a fine night for fishing. The other fishermen warned him not to go out, but rather to go to church that evening, or at the very least, keep to his hearth and bar the door. Murdo just laughed off their warnings, thinking to himself that if competition were shut up scared at home, all the more fish for him. The better the day, the better the deed, was his only reply. Evening came, and Murdo went down to the gear shack where the fishermen collectively stored their equipment. This hut was in sight of where the boats were pulled up on shore. Murdo was just going down to prepare his boat, toying with the idea that he might bring an extra net, in case the catch proved particularly bountiful on this fine night, when a great storm blew up suddenly. Murdo hadn't taken two paces onto the shingle where his boat was, when there was an almighty roaration of thunder and rain 
lashed against him like a thousand whips. So fierce was the wind that Murdo, strong and tall as he was, was nearly blown over. Pulling his cloak up around his head and shoulders, he looked out over the roiling horizon. The waves were huge and the light from the moon had disappeared behind a wall of storm clouds. There'll be no going out in this, Murdo cursed softly to himself. But so soon comes, sooner gone, perhaps. So I'll go into the hut and wait. Murdo had just settled himself as comfortably as he could to wait out the weather, when there was another noise added to the unceasing din of the storm. A mournful howling and yowling as if all the suffering of hell had been unleashed on the shore just at that moment. Murdo peered out and saw a curious sight that chilled him to the bone far more deeply than the sudden storm had done. Twelve great black cats with huge glowing green eyes were coming towards him, walking upright on their hind legs and slowly circling the hut, caterwauling for all they were worth. In the center of this unearthly procession there was an even bigger cat. This one had tawny red fur like a fox and large golden eyes with black centers. It stopped directly in front of the door of the hut, jamming a huge russet-colored paw in the door so that Murdo could neither close it nor hope to escape past the creature. He was trapped. Well done, my beauties, the leader praised the other cats. Murdo will surely pay us well for this fine dirge you have just sung in his honor. Pay you? Pay you? I have nothing to pay you with, for the storm has kept me from taking in a haul of fish so far tonight. And why would I pay you anyway? Murdo asked, his fear momentarily leaving him. I didn't ask for a funeral dirge to be sung for me. I'm not dead. The kingly red cat flicked the claws of one paw speculatively, examining their sharpness. Are you so sure of that, Murdo? He purred softly. Murdo clutched the flimsy door until he saw his own knuckles like bright white bones in the dim light. His thoughts raced, and then he remembered that the laird had a fallow field up on the lee, and that although most of his livestock were very well cared for, he had a stubborn old weather and a bony old ox that often got out of the barn and weren't watched too closely. He hoped they were out tonight. He looked up toward the lead just as a fork of lightning lit the sky and saw the outline of the two animals. He was in luck in that, at least. The animals weren't his to sacrifice, but he didn't care. Up there on the lead, take that old sheep for your pay and may mutton be to your liking, Murdo cried. The cats took off like a swirling shadow and made short work of the sheep, leaving a pile of white bones near the old ox. They returned to Murdo before he had barely formed the thought to try and run home, singing even louder than before. When they finished, the red cat again asked Murdo to pay for their stirring tribute. Take the old ox up on the lee, then, and may it serve you for steak. The ox was bony and thin, and the cats gnawed it down to nothing in half the time it took to devour the sheep. Murdo barely had time to swallow and blink, Never mind quiet the pounding of his pulse before they were back again, singing their infernal hearts out. 
when the red cat again demanded payment, Murdo was at a loss. He felt sure he would be the next pile of bones. Then he heard the excited bark and alarmed howl of the laird's fine deerhound through the pounding rain. It was exploring the piles of bones in the field. It was a fine beast, but Murdo had to save his own skin, and he knew the deerhound was fast, sure-footed, and knew the lay of the land for miles around. He closed his eyes and prayed that the noble dog might get away. See there, the laird's deerhound now patrols your feasting hall. The cats didn't need any prompting. But the deerhound was swift and ran through the downpour so fast that his passing dried the ground in his wake. Indeed, the rain was so surprised at the creature's turn of speed that the deluge just had to stop and watch a while, and it took several seconds before the rain learned to fall downwards again. No word of a lie. Murdo blessed the dog and wasted no time running home once he was sure the cats were engaged in the chase for the deerhound. He ran over the slippery ground in the dark, falling over rocks or into bogs as he went, but stumbling forward as fast as he could go. Too soon he heard the angry howls of the cats getting closer, and he knew he would never make it to his own front door. He spied a tall tree and climbed as fast as he could, wedging himself high up into a sturdy fork where the branches were still thick and strong. He stayed silent and waited. Trees hold no fear for cats, and the red ones soon spied their quarry. The cats were even more famished, having been denied their last meal when the deerhound got away. I've found our host, my lovelies. Let's fetch him down. One of the black cats sprang onto the trunk and began climbing confidently, his unblinking green eyes fixed on Murdo. Murdo took out his dagger and stabbed the cat just as he came close enough to swipe at him. The blow caught his paw, and though that didn't kill it, the fall did. Another cat came up, and this time Murdo managed to stab it in the neck as it lunged to bite. Two furry corpses lay at the base of the tree. Hold! yelled the red cat, putting up his paw. We'll never get him that way, and we've lost two of our number to the ungrateful wretch who refuses to pay a fair price for our ballads. But though he can stab, he can't fly. He has nowhere to go. If we bring the tree down, perhaps he will be persuaded to pay his debts like an honorable man. As Murdo watched in horror, the remaining cats began to dig furiously around the base of the tree, exposing the great roots. These they started to bite through. The entire tree shuddered violently as the first major root was severed. Murdo screamed. <coughs> Near the woods, there was a small church of the old faith, and the priest had just finished Mass for All Hallows. He was coming out with his parishioners, shaking hands and blessing them in farewell. His sharp ears heard Murdo's distress. We should go and help that poor unfortunate soul, the priest cried. The sexton was unnerved, but he was a sensible man. Father, he said, your own welfare is important to us. The night is hardly fit. If we hear it again, I and most of the men here will go with you to help, I promise. Another root gave way. The tree shook violently. The cats screamed in blood-curdling triumph, 
and Murdo screamed for life and mercy. The sexton called to any willing man to come and several volunteered. The priest ran back into the church for some of the tools of his trade and soon the party was headed into the forest towards the terrified cries. They ran faster as the tree fell with a resounding crash. They came into a clearing and saw an injured man with a dagger surrounded by a group of large circling cats. The red one was uttering threats and curses. Wasting no time, the priest ran forward into their midst, having unstoppered a bottle of holy water. Now most cats hate water save to drink, but the cats she hate holy water most of all. As the water touched them, each remaining black cat disappeared with a smoking shriek, leaving behind nothing but an empty black cat skin. The priest cried, Be gone, devil, and leave this man alone. You shall not take him. You won't take me either, rejoined the red cat, leaping into the air and sailing over the heads of the astonished mortals, disappearing in a puff of smoke and leaving behind no trace save the echo of a laugh deep as velvet and as dark as original sin. With that, the smoky-colored storytelling cat fell silent, at last stopping its circular pacing directly in front of the seated character of Yvonne. You want to know the way to hell, mortal? the cat asked. I'll take you. The cat's fur changed to a tawny red color, the eyes glowed black, edged with gold, and it leapt at Yvonne. They disappeared together. Well done, Adeline, Mara cried. That was very entertaining and quite enlightening. I know so little of tales from other lands. But, Mara Darkmage thought to herself, so it was possible to give someone something they didn't ask for and still demand payment to create an unwanted but immutable debt. Interesting. Thank you, Adeline wrote, but she knew her story ended when the smoky cat went silent and still. The rest wasn't her doing. Into the private channel, Isabel wrote, Lucas? She pressed the hot key to cover her alarm and the Decameron made its next selection. Two of hearts. Jack's turn next with a high likelihood of some kind of loss. He had a terrible feeling he knew what that was already. He looked around. There were only three seated now around the tree. He pounded his question into the private chat. Lucas, where the hell are you? The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.